I have an idea. Let's record a shitty intro. Just strum it. <laughs> This is the Zach and Akash show. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Zach and Akash show. We have a very special guest today. Akash. Today, we got Joe, Joe Rapp. So Joe and I met a couple years back in this blockchain course we were doing at UConn with David Noble, actually. He was a guest a couple weeks ago. And since then, we decided to work on a startup and that ended and then joe has been working on a bunch of startups since he's also a podcast host on the nonconformist you can check him out there but welcome joe yeah thanks akash thanks for having me on guys i appreciate this exciting <laughs> oh, so yes. joe we always start off with how's your quarantine been what you've been up to <laughs> oh my god busy Quarantine here, man, has, uh, you know, the day-to-day life hasn't really changed much. I've been working like more of this remote nomad lifestyle for the last year and a half or so. So like the work life hasn't changed, but definitely, uh, you know, not being able to go out or when I do go out, you know, making sure that I remember my PPE and my mask and stuff uh, (laughs) uh, is kind of a downfall. But now, like primarily, man, I've just, I've almost been like, uh, you know, I've been in the cave here. I like to say it. I've just been grinding the whole time. Like, you know, I've looked at this opportunity as well, madness is going on in society. And, you know, I can't go out really anyways. I'm just going to put my head down and start continuing to run towards things I've been working on. Um, And primarily right now, a lot of it has been a lot of building content around, um, you know, cryptocurrency education, education on Bitcoin, and privacy focused currencies such as like Monero, um, just because of what is going on in the economy as we're seeing it in real time with the Fed in, inflating like crazy like they are now, right? A lot of uncertainties around the world. Um, and you're seeing a lot of people that are wondering, you know, where to put their money because uh, their savings accounts are being stolen from them in countries where there's negative interest rates. And, uh, and um, you know, right now we're seeing, you know, individuals 401ks just getting slashed in half two months ago when the Dow dropped about, uh, you know, 40% or so. So, I've been taking this time to just kind of continue to roll with the punches, go with the flow, but more importantly, you know, build a lot of this content. And this is awesome that you guys have had me on because um, this helps contribute to it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Good to have you on. So, all right, let's get right into it then. So give us like a quick background about what you've been researching exactly and what you've been looking into for the past year. And uh, yeah, why do you think we're moving towards tokens? <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of my, so I have a background in finance. I graduated from Central Connecticut State University in 2016 with a finance degree. And uh, during that time, I had started working for United Technologies Corporation, primarily in treasury. Um, and then for, you know, up until about 2018, so three years, you know, after college, I continued to work for them in various finance, uh, finance and accounting roles and financial operations. So um, I've had some good, ex- I, that kind of started my whole like, you know, business financial kind of education back then. Uh, but since 2017, uh, when I noticed there was more talk going around UTC about Bitcoin and digital currencies, that's what really sparked my interest in the top. Did freeze. Yeah, for us, I think. Oh, no. We'll give it a sec. Yeah. 
All right, he's back. You were back. Okay, cool. You can hear me now? <laughs> yeah, we're good. All right, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I was frozen on my end there. <laughs> All good. Uh, yeah, so where's last? what's last you guys heard? Um, UTC. Uh, yeah. UTC just... proud? Yeah. Yeah, so I heard, you know, in 2017, I started hearing Bitcoin being talked about more and more around, uh, you know, UTC. Not, not from like a, a business operations perspective, like we're going to accept crypto for payments for engines, but more of like senior finance um, uh, staff in the company, you know, talking about it more. And, and as a young uh, analyst at that time, I had looked at them as some of the best financial experts in the world saying, well, if they're interested in this, um, maybe I should take an interest and I should start learning about it just because of all the knowledge they had. And, um, you know, 2017 kind of kicked off the, the roller coaster ride of taking a step back in finance and economics and understanding what currencies are, um, what are the histories of currencies, you know, what different types have existed. Um, and then that brought me into learning more about world powers. Um, and that ties directly into the economy and the reserve currency of the world. So a lot of the past two years, I've been taking more of a macro uh, look at the markets, um, at the central banks, and at the rate of uh, inflation that we're seeing. Um, you know, and this COVID-19 event was really the extreme catalyst into what I had been researching over the last two years. You know, we had known that the Fed uh, monetary policy was essentially done. This was known uh, December 2018, the last time that the Fed tried to raise the Fed funds rate, tried to raise, raise the overall interest rates, uh, stock market slid 20% in about a week back in December of 2018. That was the first sign that just companies were over leveraged. You know, this big debt bubble and credit bubble that we've been hearing about our whole lifetimes um, is now coming to fruition. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, once COVID kind of happened in January and February, and the result of the economy completely shutting down, it was, it was in my opinion, the, the pin in the bubble that was already existing um, within the credit markets. And um, so, so now, you know, now we're seeing uh, not just the Federal Reserve in the United States, but central banks all around the world trying to, uh, you know, manage this crisis. In my opinion, they're really the ones fundamentally, if you look at it, just the way the bank banking system works, the ones that really started the crisis in the first place, right? But, um, but now I think the time is, is up historically for a new reserve currency. Reserve currencies really over the last 1,000 years have been in power for 80 to 120 years. Uh, that's always aligned with an existing world power. So the United States after World War II came into power after 1945. And with the Bretton Woods Agreement, you know, the dollar became the reserve currency of the world backed by gold at that time. Um, and it wasn't until 1971 that Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And arguably, that's when this whole experiment started with fiat currency, paper money that's backed by nothing other than the government and the military that supports the government and the good faith and credit of the government, right? But we're now seeing, uh, we're now seeing what I believe is the end of that. Um, you know, interest rates are at or near zero, they can't raise them again. Um, you know, the the credit, the credit is just so bad in the financial markets and then consumer debt, right? We look all around us. Everyone has student loan debt. Everyone's got car debt. You know, no one's making means. The wealth gap is the worst that it's really ever been historically. Um, and it's getting even wider now during the crisis, right? So you're having the battle between the haves and the have nots, the rich and the poor. And, uh, and, and now we're seeing oil come into play. And, and, you know, yeah. uh, you know, we saw negative oil futures. So, you know, the dollar ultimately, in my opinion, the last thing that will keep it up 
is oil. You know, it's a natural resource. It is, it is fought overall around the world, right? But at the end of the day, all oil is traded in the US dollar, in the petrodollar. So I think once you see oil, you know, oil start to turn and, you know, countries are going to start, China's and, and different countries are starting to form their new economic circles. Um, once the dollar goes in that world, I think now we're going to see the transition into a new currency. And I'm arguing that along with many others that it will, it will be digitized. So it'll, you know, whether or not it's Bitcoin, I mean, we don't know, but I think that you're now seeing central banks trying to create their own digital currencies. So we're going to see that experiment. And uh, yeah, man, and this is all going to unfold in front of us here over the coming years. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what a lot of my research has been baked into. It's been a, a fascinating time to be alive, in my opinion, especially if you're you have interest in finance and economics and stuff, because this look, look at negative interest rates, for example. There has never been one recorded instance in a, in a textbook or in 5,000 years of economic history where we've actually had negative interest rates because they, they're not supposed to exist. No one ever thought they would exist. So, yeah, um, wow. yeah. So, so that's kind of where I'm at and what I've been doing. And that's why I've been trying to educate others more about um, digital currencies now, because if we're moving into that world, you know, people will have an option. And as long as they're educated on the truth behind these things, they'll have an option on what they want to save and trade in ultimately. So, so how exactly does that change in currency work? Could you go a bit more in depth on that? Yeah. So like the transition of currency. Yeah. 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 So it's, you know, there's, there's a couple of different parts to it. And I feel like anyone you talk to, they're going to, of course, they're going to have a different way that they explain it, but you know, the, the sure. change in currency happens in two ways, in my opinion, the first is from a, you know, from a, a a political standpoint, right, where the governments will almost like force the people to use this new kind of currency, right? Um, and then the second is all the social experiments. So it comes down to like human psychology and what humans collectively decide to barter and trade in at the end of the day and what has value, right? Um, uh, and I'll give you examples of the two of them. So um, the first one could be, um, you know, like, uh, here in the United States, right? So we could see uh, the Federal Reserve come out with a digital currency and all of a sudden, you know, next week, you're being told that you have to download this application, like this FedNow app. And that's where you're going to get your new checks. And you can link a bank account, any bank account to it. And then that's what you'll log on to the account every month, you'll have your money and you can withdraw it to your normal bank, Webster, Bank of America, right? So the government could be enacting policies that coerce the po population in one way or another to use that currency and it might not you know it doesn't have to be like you need to use this now like they could just you know they can fluff it up a bit but it's guidance from the government that you need to use this this is legal tender right if you look on the dollar bill it is this is legal tender for debt right so that's a they're saying government saying okay now you can use this this is what you're going to use to pay off your debts anything else okay. you would have had in the past you can't use that anymore um an example of a social experiment would be um, in Africa. Uh, so I believe it was Nigeria. And I, I'll let you guys fact check me. But around 15 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, they were going through um, a currency crisis. Um, and I, I do believe it was Nigeria. Um, and at that time, cell phones with prepaid minutes were just coming out. Those are very popular. So you can get a prepaid cell phone. And then you can get the cards for prepaid minutes and you can upload your cell phone. So you have the minutes to use talk and text and everything. And a lot of the villages actually started 
perceiving those cell phone minutes to have more value than the actual paper currency that was inflating at the time. And oh. collectively as a community, like in all of the stores and the shops, they just decided that they weren't going to use the actual government currency anymore. They were going to barter and trade in these cell phone points in these prepaid cell phone minutes. Wow. And you could text each other the cell phone minutes too. That's a cool feature they had is that like I could text you them and then you could have the cell phone minutes in your balance now. And um, that's, that's actually what ended up functioning, controlling the economy. And I actually really, I'll let you guys do the, the research if you want, but I believe that now um, their actual currency in that country was built off of that psychology of the cell phone minutes. Um, it's not the cell wow. phone minutes anymore, but I believe that that's what yeah. was embedded. So that's an example of where the people are collectively just deciding like, no, we're not going to use this anymore. We're going to trade in this because we just all agree that that has value, right? And at the end of the day, that's really, that's what a current currency, currencies are barters, right? It's psychology. Everyone has to have, you know, the belief that this has value over this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a social experiment. Um, and I think that's what we're going to start seeing probably here in the United States soon. Um, which one's right or wrong? I don't, you know, I don't. I don't have a say on that. It's kind of like the market, you know, kind of decides for itself kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But you know, we'll, those are the two here. I think in the United States, what you're going to see is first, you're going to see the central bank. That's going to be, you know, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos said it better best himself uh, a few years back. He says in the future, we'll see three forms of money, money for the governments, money for corporations and money for people. We've already seen money for corporations with the Facebook Libra experiment that went on, right? And we're seeing gotcha, it okay. Telegram's token sale, for example, Telegram, the app, they had a $2 billion ICO. And uh, I believe the SEC just squashed that uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for them going through with it. These are examples of currencies that are being created uh, primarily around businesses and new business models, right? Um, money for governments. We're seeing that right now. You know, the Fed is talking about digitizing the dollar. China has a new central bank digital currency, a digital one that they're, they're testing right now with McDonald's and Starbucks and a few other individuals. Um, those are experiments of money we're going to see for governments. And money for people are going to be like Bitcoin or Monero or truly decentralized digital currencies where no government or no organization controls it. And and, and this is, I think this is where this will be the experiment, you know, we'll, we're, we haven't even seen the battles yet, I think, in a way where, where people are going to like really decide on what they want to use at the end of the day. So what's the time so frame, think... like 30 years, 10 years? Yeah, that's another hard one too, right? The time frame on everything. Well, you look at, look at Bitcoin's existence, right? Mm -hmm. It came up in 2008, right? In 2009, the, the white paper, and I think uh, it was started getting mined in 2009 as a response, arguably, from the last financial crisis, the housing crisis, 07, 08. Uh, it's been around for 10 years. And, and here we are again, it's doing what it was built to do, right? Preserve wealth. Um, and that only took, that was only 10 years, right? And that, that ultimately came down to, uh, the central banks and monetary policy, right? Like they just continue to fuck up and, you know, here we are in the same mess. Um, you know, at the rate, so in my opinion, right, in my opinion, at the rate in which things are going right now, if, if the economy does not open back up and there's already been enough destruction where people think that they're going to just day one, go back to work and it's going to be like normal. I just saw numbers from the St. Louis Fed where they were putting Q2 GDP down 48.5%. Mm. 
So when your government, when your country's gross domestic product is cut in half, you're not going to go back to work the next day and things aren't going to be normal, right? So at the rate of which things are going, if we don't get this engine back rolling again, and we're going to continue to have to pay people monthly, especially for like, you know, universal basic income and stuff. I think that this transition can happen a lot faster than people think. And I think that the Fed right now is racing to get that done because ultimately they know, right? They know, they know the dollar's done. I, I, you know, these people, policymakers know how these long-term debt cycles work. They're very well educated on this matter. It's about controlling that transition right now. So I, I have a feeling that you'll probably see the U.S. roll out some type of um, uh, federal digital currency or digital dollar. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw it by December, definitely 2021. Uh, China's already, uh, they're already testing that platform and they've been working on it for three years now. So for them, they have a, the, they have a target of 2021. So I think a lot of this is going to take place over the next year over the next year or so. Um, and I think that you're going to see the drag in the economy. You know, if you look back to the Great Depression, we can only go back in time and look at what's happened in the past. You know, the 1929 crash, it happened in 1929, but the Great Depression was the entire, um, you know, 10 years, 12 years after that of just slow to no economic growth, you know, stagflation, like, you know, unemployment still exists, your, 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 your pay, your, your salaries haven't increased, but cost of living is still getting super expensive, you know, and that, that took 10 years. So I think we'll see the start of these currencies being rolled out from a government state level within the next year or so. And I think that you will, um, you know, you'll start to see probably the battles start to take place on what people are deciding within, you know, within the next five to 10 years. Um, so I think that this will all slowly build up, but we're at the start of it now. Okay. So what is the individual, what should they be doing in the meantime? Educate. Yeah, no, it's hard. Right. Cause, yeah. um, yeah, I see. Uh, th- and th- that's where we kind of come in right now. You guys are trying to just b- bring different topics to light in front of people. Um, I'm trying to just educate people about the fundamentals of crypto, right. Just that from a base, like everyday kind of, you know, my, the channel I have where I'm teaching Bitcoin uh, education, it's, it's, it's called adoption with a B in the middle, right? Because I'm, you know, just trying to just j- give easy to understand tips on how you can adopt Bitcoin today. Uh, so I'd say start one with education. You know, it's not, we all know how bad, you know, certain, we all know how bad the public school system is, is <laughs> on educating on people on economics and finance, right? I don't know about you guys, but I didn't take any type of like financial literacy courses when I was in school. And I didn't take, I think I might've had to take maybe one economics course before I went to college. They weren't right? very good. That's what I remember. Or, yeah, or they no, weren't very no. good. Yeah. <laughs> so I think for people right now, it's like, it's not people's faults that they don't know, but I think they need to start educating themselves right now because when your 401k is on the line and, and, and especially if you're an older person, right? People like us, like our age, we're young. Like this for us, I think ultimately becomes a war story, right? Like I think we come up, we know the millennials are going to have a lot of the wealth that the boomers had that's going to be coming to us. And I think that our future is going to be okay. But especially if you're an older person looking to retire within the next five to 10 years, or you're just retiring, you need to start educating yourself right now on what you can do with your money to preserve that wealth because your financial advisor is not going to tell you the truth. Go talk to a financial advisor about gold or silver. They don't even know what it is. Meanwhile, gold is up, you know, gold is breaking its new all time highs now and silver will be there shortly after. Um, And these are assets that help 
you know, really diversify your financial portfolio and safeguard against economic downturn like it's happening right now. So, you know, education on, 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 on different types of alternatives. Um, you know, I think education, 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 you know, how, so you need to be looking at like, um, you know, I, on it goes, honestly, I think it's education on safeguarding assets because right now, think about it. If you were here in February, if you February 15th, right, right before the Dow started to tumble, even though the markets have rebounded now, let's pretend that they really haven't. Right. If you were just like blind, you know, if you were, you were just kind of like, you know, kind of passively going through your day to day and everything, um, Dow drops 20, 20 to 40% in two weeks, your 401k, you just took a hit 30%, 35%, you know, a lot of the times you're not going to make that back for another five or 10 years sometimes, right? If mm-hmm. it's a bad dip. So if you're not actively just like listening or at least paying attention on, you know, Hey, what can I, what can I put a little bit of money in now that might save me? Or where can I kind of, you know, um, you know, adjust my portfolio where I'll be better off. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of screwed. So that's why I try to tell people now with the podcast stuff, it's so easy. Um, you know, you can listen to, they can listen to your channel and, and find the topics. They can come follow me on the nonconformist.io, my partner, and just passively listen about, you know, Bitcoin and Monero and, and our take on the economy. Um, but there needs to be awareness and people need to, need to stay educated. I was just listening to George Orwell's uh, 1984 again this past weekend because I'm reading I thought that it was, right now. Yeah, so I, you know, and one of the lines he says is ignorance is power or ignorance is strength, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. the truth, man. People like people want to say like, oh, it's not, oh, I don't have to worry about it, right? Or like, oh, I don't want to worry. About it. I just, I, I'm, I'm voluntarily being ignorant to it. Well, you know, that's the, that's the perfect world, right? But when you lose 40% of your portfolio, you know, or now you're in a freaking, it's a whole different story and it, it's a hard topic, but I say education, you know, people have to be willing to want to learn a little bit and, and channels like ours kind of expose that. So keep listening to people like us. They got to, they got to take a little bit more, more look. Um, Kaiser report on YouTube, I think is one of the best financial um, uh, news networks you can listen to as well. Uh, the Kaiser report on YouTube. Kaiser report. Kaiser report. And, and they are one of my primary sources of financial knowledge and they have been for the last three years. But if you just listen to the Kaiser report, like, honestly, dude, you are good to go. Like, so that is my suggestion. Don't even, don't even worry about following me, like follow me if you, and you guys, if you want to, but it's Max and Stacy, the Kaiser report, like they're the real OGs in the markets too, man. So you said the U S might, release a digital dollar right by 2021 yep. december what does that really mean because how does that really differ from the dollar we have right now how is that going to be better and also further on if the people start adapting bitcoin and then there's this corporate currency like libra and then the government currency are we looking at a future where there's going to be multiple currencies within the country we're going to be playing with or is that going to work? Yeah. So um, I'll start with the last question and then I'll actually move into the first question because it's two. Um, sure. So like, I think that in the future, you know, I definitely have a belief that currencies aren't consolidating. They're more, you know, they're, they're fractioning. So I, I do think in the future, like, just like we see now with, with uh, national currencies, you know, you have the, the yen, the dollar, the euro, the whatever, right? Like, I feel like in the future, we're going to see that 
but on a larger scale and you'll see a token for you know maybe this platform right facebook's libra uh the brave browser so like i i almost feel like we're gonna see currencies fraction and you based on what you're doing and what platform you're working on you'll need to use maybe that native token or that currency ultimately right um so so mm -hmm. i don't necessarily see currencies consolidating down um you know the dollar can have the, the us can have another dollar if they want they can have a, a digital dollar but i mean there'll still be the option for me to pay someone in bitcoin or you know monero or die or or eth right like um and then they can try to make that illegal but i mean if if you look at any country where a government's trying to make something illegal it only takes a few corrupt cops to first do it at first and then the people stop listening right so that doesn't really work out um going back to the first question though um it was around the how the u.s would oh the difference of the u.s with a dollar right a digital dollar what's the difference of that right yeah yeah what does yeah. that really add when they do that it, it doesn't and this is why there was an inter interesting interview that i saw with putin um about a month and a half ago and he was taking a live ama for russians russian uh college students i believe and a russian college student asked him about this too on how russia is preparing uh for this new blockchain age um why aren't they creating their own digital currency like the us or so and so and and putin answered uh probably one of the best responses i've ever seen out of any president and he definitely knows about this stuff and he says essentially like russia is not going to worry about creating uh, a digital dollar because a digital dollar doesn't really make a difference from what they have today right bitcoin is different in the sense because it's it's decentralized it's not controlled by one government it's scarce right so the government that is actively accumulating as much bitcoin reserves as they can now they're positioning themselves strategically very well positioned in the future right whereas if you know the, the US can experiment by creating a digital dollar, but if you can still inflate it away at the end of the day, what's the difference than the, than the dollar now, right? And I think, yeah. that's what, I think that's what we're seeing. I think, you know, the US is gonna tokenize a currency and China is gonna tokenize their currency um, with an attempt to like build off of this new blockchain technology. But what they're missing is that there's no finite cap. It's still centrally controlled by one entity and it really just at that point becomes, you know, uh, the perfect storm for a full financial totalitarian kind of system, right? Imagine a world where like, you know, the banking system before was slow, but imagine a world now where like your banking account is tied to your social credit score. And like in China, like if you lash out against the government or you don't get your vaccination or you don't do something like this, well, not only can we freeze your funds, more efficiently, but we can freaking pull money out of it too. So, so I think it's a power grab. I don't think the U S is doing anything special by tokenizing the dollar. I just think they're staying a little bit more competitive, right? Cause they, they need to. Um, but, but it's going to be no different than what exists today. It's just going to be more efficient. So like, you know, I, today they can only print, uh, you know, if you look at a dollar is denominated, the lowest denomination of a dollar is a penny, right? You know, but if you tokenize a dollar, um, you know, you have the ability to break that down even further. So, um, you know, in my opinion, it even expands these inflationary policies even more because, you know, but it, one, one article that the IMF put out last year that I've been turning back to quite a bit lately is um, uh, it's an article. It, it was a blog post that they wrote 
on a series of them on how central banks can navigate negative interest rates. Because uh, the negative interest rate problem showed up about a year or two ago. And their guidance was, is that central banks can nav navigate negative interest rates by creating two forms of money, cash, which we know today and we have, and e-money. They actually say e-money in their article. And what you would do is you would tax. So in this world of these two new currencies, everyone would spend in e-money, right? And you tax the conversion of physical cash into e-money by the rate of the negative interest rate that existed at that time. Now, what that does is it disincentivizes holding cash, right? And what I say by the conversion, I mean, like when you go to the ATM today, say you have physical cash and you put money into the ATM to, to deposit it into your bank account, it would be the equivalent of that. Like when you go and deposit cash, okay. charged like 5% on that conversion now of putting cash into the ATM back into your online account, right? And um, what this does is it disincentivizes holding cash because why would I, if I hoard cash now, every year into the future, it's gonna be worth less when I convert it back into the bank account, right? So you're able to tax cash at the negative interest rate by, the, by that conversion. And you're able to have this new form of e-money that exists in online banking. I think this is what's going to happen ultimately. I think this is how the rollout will begin is that, you know, um, cash will be phased out slowly. You know, it'll probably be, it'll be made illegal outright, or it'll slowly be, you know, um, devalued through this kind of negative interest rate kind of conversion mechanism. And I think what you'll see on your bank accounts at that point will be the new, uh, it'll be, you know, the Fed's new tokenized dollar all that all it really is is a tokenized dollar is they're just operating off of a blockchain as a stable coin and there's really no difference right um so that was a long-winded way to explain to you that central banks are going to try and they're going to fail ultimately okay. or they're going to try and they're going to have these currencies and have full totalitarian control over the populations um but it's still going to be different than bitcoin it's still not it's not decentralized right um, it's not uh, censorship resistant. It's not fungible. It can be tracked. Um, and, and then this is the experiment, though. This is why people will decide money for the people, right? They'll still be able to trade and all this other stuff. Um, but what do they use ultimately? That we still have to mm -hmm. see. Yeah. So in a case where, say, we do adopt Bitcoin as the primary source of value and people are trading in Bitcoin, everyone's accepting Bitcoin. What would happen in a case, like, again, like something like Corona comes up again, where in another recession, how exactly are people going to get bailed out in that sense? Especially people who are, you know, a lot of people are losing jobs who can't, who pretty much don't have Bitcoin to spend because yeah. Bitcoin is scarce, right? So how are they going to be getting that from? Well, I think you, this goes back to, this goes back to currencies too, right? So mm -hmm. if you've looked at historically in history, when there have been times of a gold standard that has existed within the currency, and this was in the US, we saw this up until 1971, right? Those tended to be the best times in society and economically in history, people are flourishing, um, you know, their savings are worth more year over year, right? Because it's only a fixed supply. 
Um, their wages were up. You know, wages in the U.S. were always increasing annually up until 1971. Um, and it wasn't until that we, you came off this gold standard where banks were allowed to manipulate the, the debt, right? And, and they were allowed to take riskier bets. And we see this with governments too. Governments have always, world powers have always ultimately failed because of debt. And it's always debt that's brought on because of war, right? Because if you're a country and you want to go to war, you have to spend a shit ton of money for your armies and your supplies. But if you have a gold standard kind of currency, you can't spend more gold than you have. So governments and companies don't take riskier bets because if you lose, you lose everything you have. And there's no way you have, you know, because it's a finite supply. You can only you can only get so much back. You can't create out of thin air again. Right. Right. Whereas if you look now, we're in a fiat based system and this has always happened. Right. Governments have always come off gold standards or they've always come. Like if you look back to the Roman Empire, they started stamping their silver coins smaller and smaller. So people started getting less of a weight of that metal. And it was because of war debts. Right. These are the problems, and this is this is the cesspool that ends up happening that causes things like financial crisis and causes things like you know the theft of savings, like the fact that your savings account this year is worth less than la- next year because of inflation. So I think if we went, I I'm actually making the the other argument, and I've said this to my wife. I finally have a solution to what's going on. I think going back to a Bitcoin standard is equivalent to going back to a gold standard, and I think that that's what we need to do to help save the world from a lot of the shit that we're in today. Because if governments did decide that Bitcoin was the next reserve currency of the world, and they decided that they were going to trade in this, just like gold, they can't, they can't spend more that they have. And I think that that will ultimately bring us back to these periods of enlightenment where, you know, if you save in Bitcoin, your savings next year will be worth more than it is this year, because it's a deflationary asset, assuming people use it, right? Um, <clears throat> But your question on, on, you know, how will they get bailed out then? Uh, in, in that world, again, I mean, it's, it, it depends on how Bitcoin's being used, if it's a reserve currency and if it's being used as, you know, uh, you know spending and commerce and everything, you know, government's just going to have to decide how much of that, how much of that they're going to bail back out to the people. Um, uh, this is why I don't, uh, this is why I don't necessarily think that we'll see Bitcoin I, I see Bitcoin like, you know, being a reserve asset of the world. I don't think it's going to, you know, look at gold. Gold is gold is considered kind of a, it's it's a store of value. But like, you know, countries decide not to really use it in their day to day operations. I see Bitcoin kind of becoming like that. Like it's like okay, it's, a gotcha. savings, it's a hedge, but it's not necessarily used in, in a day to day. Not yet, at least. Um, but the bailout. So I ultimately I think, you know, I think we need to go back to a gold standard, which is a Bitcoin standard in order to prevent a lot of this crap um and the bailouts i mean i am I'm, I'm one that takes the austrian economic point of view a free market point of view so you know when the government steps in and they bail an organization out all they're really doing is giving them a thumbs up to just repeat what they did in the past and we've seen that now with banks you know mm-hmm. you know in my opinion uh in the free market opinion some of these businesses and banks should just be let to fail and then the market will step in, entrepreneurs will innovate, and someone else will come in that has a more efficient process. And then, you know, things will be back to normal. Um, Yeah, for sure. I agree with that, with like a business level. But what about in a lower level, like in an individual level of unemployment? Yeah. um, Well, you know what, 
if people are unemployed, here's the thing, right? So I can't really help if people are employed and unemployed, right? But from a currency perspective, uh, you could say, well, how fast can we get this money to people that need it? And I think in a world of Bitcoin, um, it's pretty fast, right? And that's why I think ultimately why the central banks are now moving to currency is these digital currencies is, is because, you know, uh, in the past, like right now, right, if I'm unemployed right now, I have to log on to my unemployment website, I have to file my claim, I have to link a bank account. And then, you know, it's got to take a week to like kind of process and then the payments, right, the the treasury gives the money to the banks, then the banks deposit the money to their depositors, and then maybe they mess up. Whereas with crypto, dude, it becomes so much more efficient. Like with Bitcoin, if, I, if I'm someone in need, really all I need to do is give my wallet address to the government and that should really be it, right? Like uh, there's smart contract functions now where how many wallet addresses do we have? Okay, how much are we trying to pay them out? out of this entire stack of sats, right? Bitcoin. Okay. Click a button and then it just automatically distributes and it's sent to everyone's wallet address within seconds. They have it. Um, mm. And I think it's more efficient. So I think it will help those people a lot better. And we've also seen that too, with like things like uh, national emergencies and um, funding for things like floods and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of corruption that happens in like FEMA and a lot of these uh, banks that support, um, you know, disaster relief. But if all of these people that were affected by these floods and stuff just were able to give their wallet addresses to the government, the money could get to them instantaneously. There's no there's no intermediaries anymore that that you risk corruption with a lot of that stuff. So like these efficiencies are why I think it's going to be it's going to be a better system for us. And, and, and overall, I think it's just going to help us live better lives. Um, I don't know if that answers your, your speed of transaction stuff, uh, for. No, yeah, I'm getting what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, that's why, uh, so Akash and I had worked on a project in the past, uh, you know, fit track and, and, and a lot of, a lot of what we were doing with that, I think ultimately, I think that this technology is still so new. It is like the internet in the eighties where like you start innovating with it and then you start realizing like, oh my God, there's this use case, there's this use case, there's that use case. Right. Um, and I think that's like what we came up with a lot of the times, but ultimately like what, like what we were trying to do is, is create like an incentive for people to earn income off of their data. Right. And I think like that's, that's kind of the shift that we're going into anyways. So, you know, people need to understand that this goes back to your point before as well. Well, what, what should I be doing? Strip your emotions away and understand that like, we're going to be living in a complete digital world much more than we are now. And, you know, if you can just kind of, you know, kind of get over that hump and understand that, that the baby that you look at right now, that's like a toddler that's playing with their cell phone, like we're going to be in a much more digital connected world. Um, uh, you know, you can start understanding like a lot easier, like how Bitcoin might be valued in that world. Um, you know, you can start understanding what your data is worth, you know, what you really consider privacy, right? Your data is very, it's very sensitive to us. Um, and I, I think these, these things are important to bring up now because um, we're, we're really heading there. So. For sure, man. So switching gears here a little bit, you're also, into entrepreneurship and starting businesses so i'm sure you're well aware of how funding works in silicon valley and how that whole startup system works so recently i've been talking about this with a couple of my buddies and 
we're starting to see increasingly businesses are being created to pretty much give a valuable product and therefore making money. It's more starting to look like businesses are being created just to get funding. You know, there seems to be this exact process set up where, all right, I got to do X, Y, and Z to get round A of funding and then round B, round C. But in the end, it seems like, you know, it's all funding focus. How much are they actually developing a product that brings real value that's actually viable? And it seems like it's about everyone is getting money. So what, what are your thoughts on that right now? Yeah, I think the, well, I think there's been a lot of wealth that's made over the last 15 years. And there's no argument that you've seen the rise of venture capital, like VC funds, I think we're at like an all time high historically for VC funds. So, um, you know, as far as like the automatic process of getting funding, like the check the box kind of thing, I could just speculate from here, you know, I don't have any direct uh, information on this. But from just from what I've seen, uh, it seems like, yeah, there's there's it almost reminds me of like the ICO craze, right? Like what, where do we have to like, what do we have to do next to, to get to get the dollars to get the funding? Um, and then we just check the block. And then we're kind of passed through the system of free money, right? Essentially. Um, and you know, it's like, it could be a dollar. I mean, look at it. We saw this with uh, WeWork, right? We almost got sold on that WeWork IPO, $60 billion valuation, $55 billion valuation. SoftBank now is saying like, they're only valued at 15 billion. Well, it's a good thing that the American people didn't get sold out on that, right? Um, and why, why did that happen? Probably like you're saying, they were passed through the door, man. Like this perfect story, you know, you got a product, but it doesn't really serve a value need. Or are you checking the block of the VCs and then they're upselling and then they're launching an IPO, right? And then everyone gets rich and then, you know, you check yeah, out after exactly. that. Exactly. I mean, a lot of these companies aren't even getting enough money in to support themselves before making it do these high level rounds of funding. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it could, there, there's definitely the VC element and there's the, the money element, right? There's a lot of free money right now. So when you have a lot of free liquidity, I think that you're probably going to see a lot of this stuff manifest naturally. Um, you know, but it's, it's, I think it's also, you know, I don't, it's a double-edged sword, man. Cause the entrepreneurs, they, they do need the, they do need the money. They need the funding, right. To, to get product built and to innovate. Uh, there's also an incentive there. There's a financial incentive. There's financial incentive for the VCs, right? Because they want to have their return on investments. So they're pushing it up the chain. Um, and then the banks take advantage too, right? And they sell the IPO. Everyone gets wealthy. Um, but that's all ending now. I feel like that's now like kind of coming to a, to a halt because the money isn't as available anymore for them. Mm. You know, so we're going to see a change, I think, in, in maybe venture capital and in that aspect. Um, but but as far as uh, the check the blocks, though, man, um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to stay on that. I think my position is like there's a lot of free money right now. And I think that, okay. uh, that drives a lot of this malinvestment, you know, and we work was exactly that. We work was a malinvestment. We work we work did we work did what you're told rule number one in real estate is that you never, you know, you never you never leverage up more than you make on your rental income. Right. And what do they do? They took out long term leases in major cities and they tried subleasing it to entrepreneurs and small businesses and they couldn't fill those subleases so that they, they start defaulting on their their own leases. Right. Like mm -hmm. and, you know, could could someone in VC or could someone as they were pitching this stuff had said, like, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. Like maybe this could be bad. Yeah, they could have. But did they No. Why? 
because SoftBank was trying to pitch that IPO for $55 billion, $60 billion. And the CEO, their CEO walked away with $230 million right as all this was happening. So I think the malinvestment's the issue. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's right or wrong. Isn't it? It's again, I think it's I think it comes down to like the environment, right? The lending, there's a lot of free money, like money. Things are good, right? Business is rolling. Um, but then when it's not, it's not. Um, so now I have a feeling that we'll probably see more spotlighting coming down on, on, the, on the actual entrepreneurs, right? Like, do these businesses make sense? Is there real value? Akash, like you've been I know even with us, when we were working on your project, you're really good at this. Like just taking a step back and saying like, are we actually providing like value, the right value to what the customer wants? Is there a, a viable business model here? Um, and I think that those questions are gonna have to be answered in more depth because uh, the money might not be as readily available anymore. So maybe they won't, they won't be thrown around cash. Um, but who knows, dude? I mean, they, the saying is, is don't fight the Fed. Right. I mean, the Fed could keep printing from here and, you know, things could keep going the same way. Who knows? But uh, I would like to see more products, though, that not just help people, but I, I do. You know, I am a big supporter of the environment and stuff. So, like, I, I do like these, mm -hmm. you know, these products that that are good for the environment. You know, they're good for people. Um, you know, they help empower people. Those kind of technologies really excite me. For sure, man. For sure. Yeah, it's exciting to see products that are actually like value driven because we've, we've seen a lot of that in the past. You know? Yeah. And I'm a big fan of these projects, like, you know, these data monetization models. I'm, I'm really excited about that stuff. I think that's going to become huge in the future. Um, Andrew Yang was the first candidate that I saw really start talking about this concept of, uh, you know, tech companies paying you. And he was framing it in his campaign as a freedom dividend. But essentially what the freedom dividend was is a value tax towards tech companies in the U.S., um, value-added tax. And that would fund uh, these stimulus checks that he said everyone could get, $1,000 a month, every American. And, um, and when you look at the business model of Facebook or Google, right, ultimately you realize that they monetize data. That's really it. We're, we're the business model, right? And... If you think about it and you know that, then you look at what he was trying to do and you're saying, well, yeah, that's money that like they're making money from from our data. And if you look at data as an extension of you online, they're making money from us then. Right. So we should get money back. So I think that was the start of it. And um, Brave Browsers, another one that started to you know um, allow users to search the Web without any ads or anything. And if you decide you want to view ads and you want that to take up your time you could turn it on, uh, you turn ads on, then you get this little brave token in the background that will accumulate in your browser wallet. And that is the advertisers essentially like kind of paying you direct to view their ads. So they're monetizing you for your data essentially in a way like, so these kind of things excite me because, you know, I really do think that once people start getting compensated for their data and they should, because it's an asset for them, right. It's them online. Um, I think that this even solves the problem with like something like UBI. Um, you know, uh, if I'm getting paid for my information, it's not like the government's taking out a new tax to like pay. No, it's I'm getting paid for what was mine in the first place. So these kind of new, those kind of new models really, really excite me the most right now. I'd say like the data monetization stuff, um, you know, and then the data private, the privacy focused stuff is the other one that, mm. that, that I've been very big on lately. Um, 
I've spent about the last year or so uh, doing doing a deep dive into Monero, for example. That's why I'm only really teaching Bitcoin and Monero at this point. Um, those two are the most significant projects in my mind. Sure. Yeah, man. You're sure onto something with FitTrack. Huh? <laughs> what's, what's that? <laughs> You're onto something with FitTrack, huh? But I don't. I don't know for. I don't know if we're done yet, Akash. I keep. <laughs> I, I keep from time to time. I'll just send him a new it's article, silly. and I'll be like, "Dude, here's the new innovation." Like, you know. Yeah, but I that think was, that a lot was, of it was. We were. We were very early. We are. My opinion, yeah. We are. You know, the we were like conceptualizing use cases, and the tech hadn't even been built yet. It was like half built. You know, like mm-hmm. it's almost like you have to wait a couple of years until like, oh my God, that, that piece of tech that we needed for this model is finally there type of stuff. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's exciting stuff though, you know, cause it's, uh, you know, I think we were, we're, I, we were onto it. We're very early looking at like the fun, uh, you know, the fundamentals of what data markets could be, you know, you know, what, what would data markets look like, you know, who would want to buy this data, um, and then, you know, how the consumer psychology also played a role because we've found out as well, like people at this point, like they kind of care, but they don't care. Right. It's, it's like yeah, we're in this weird yeah, limbo yeah. where like, you know, people know that Facebook is making money off of them, but they're still like, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, but it's, it's, it's not in their face, you know, it's all done behind the scenes and when everything's behind the scenes, it's kind of, it's hard to care when it's not staring you down in the face. You almost forget about it when you're using all these websites that, people are now making money out of your attention. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, times like this would probably be a good opportunity because you're like, shit, I'm broke. Want to make money from an app? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, I know you guys do uh, have an audience with a lot of software, uh, people with software backgrounds and, and software developers and stuff. Um, I am wearing a shirt today. I do want to promote these guys a little bit. So Kingsland School of Blockchain, if there's any software developers out there that are looking on how they can get involved with blockchain, blockchain developing primarily, um, Kingsland, Kingsland School of Blockchain um, is, is one of the top places. I believe they are the first in, I think, only accredited school in the world right now for blockchain education. Wow, um, they're accredited. They are. Yep. Double, double ACSB. Uh, right. I think that's one of the credits. Anyway, you can go on their website. They've got all the accreditations. Um, they're hooked up also with, um, their, one of their founders, John Souza, um, is hooked up with one of the, the largest, um, uh, tech credit, like, um, tech course agencies. Like, you know, you guys have to go through, you have to get your certain certifications and stuff. Yeah, for for like, yeah, like what? So like, yeah, so these guys are all hooked up with them. The best part about it, though, right now is that um, they accept dollars for their blockchain courses in a token called ACAD. Um, ACAD is massively cheap. So you could technically I heard of a kid that got all of his blockchain uh, certification courses done and he paid like 500 bucks for it. Whereas the dollar value, if you look on those courses, it's like five grand. they added a token just because they need it. They're a blockchain company like everyone else. And, but their tokens primarily revolved around, um, you know, educate. So you could pay for courses with it. If you're a good student and say you like you tutor kids, you can get paid back in the ACAD and then you can use that to pay off any tuition expenses that you have had. Um, so those dudes, if anyone on you guys or, or the show or if people, you know, if they want to actually become a blockchain developer, these guys are the cheapest ones I found so far. And also some of the best, um, 
uh, some of the best uh, guys in the space, talking like early devs and stuff. And I think blockchain developers right now starting salaries like 180K and up. Jesus. I mean, wow. they're, they, they say for every one blockchain developer, there's like 18 open jobs right now. So it's a massive demand right now. Um, and they're really paving their way and they're, they're, they're setting their price and it's a, it's a big price. Um, so it sounds like for some of their courses, looking at their website here, they don't have you pay a penny until you get a job. Yeah, that's also, I found that interesting as well. Um, Lambda school. Have you guys ever heard of Lambda out in San Francisco too, or, or California? I feel like I've heard the name. L-M-A-L-A-M-D-A. So they're, they're also a software developing school like these guys. And they do a similar kind of model where you, you don't pay them anything up front for the school. But what you do is you agree on a contract that when you come out of school, you pay them like 5% of your salary, I think. I think it's like 5 or 8% of your salary for the first like two or three years out of school, which is a neat concept because the school up front is taking a risk, but they're incentivized to teach you the best that they can because they get paid more when you get a better paying job when you get out of school, right? So it's like this, I really like it because it's this incentive loop where the school has the incentive to teach you everything you need to know in the best way. You have an incentive to go out and get the best paying job and the best job you can um, because you're going to get paid a lot and they do as well. They're winning because they're going to get paid more as well. And with this kind of mechanism, you know, you can actually make more off a student than you were in the past by setting a fixed rate as long as and assuming that you're teaching the best you can, they're getting the best paid jobs. So uh, Academy, um, you know, Kingsland Academy, I think they're doing a similar thing like what you're seeing is that. You know, we're not going to take, we're not going to charge up front um, for these courses. We're also going to add in this token mechanism, which can make it very affordable for you and anyone in the world. Um, and then, you know, um, we'll have our like ninja code coders or, you know, whatever, when we, when you get out and then we'll make our money on the back end. I love that model. That's I think it cool. works. That's, that's really innovative. Like what if all the universities did that? You know what I'm saying? I I think we'll see now. I think COVID is another COVID, yeah, COVID's like, you know, I, I've already heard of like um, some co- um, some kids pulling out of schools that they were in because they've already been told like, you know, next year they might not go back. And because they're not going in person, they don't want to go anymore type of thing. Um, so who knows, man? I think that, you know, this whole COVID thing can really put us on now the verge of like, um, you know, um, ed tech and, and education technology and stuff, and, you know, school because we all know school is crazy expensive as it is that's not going down that's another that's another thing like in the government started subsidizing student loans and then what happens every like everything else man it just you know becomes more expensive and and millennials ain't paying that's the other thing i saw too (laughs) i saw (laughs) exactly like you know i i I was watching a 60 minutes segment where they were saying like something like up to like eight percent now of student loans um we're defaulting, but then they dug into the story. And I guess like, if you start defaulting on your loan, you can still go to a debt collector and the debt collector will like work out a plan with you, like a payment plan. And these kids are working out payment plans for the rest of their lives where they're only paying like, you know, 50 bucks a month or something. And they're agreeing with that. Cause what, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to pay two grand a month and then like not start my life until I'm like 40 or am I just gonna pay five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month forever. And this debt is never going away, yeah. you know, so the whole, mo- <laughs> the whole model is going to change. 
That's exciting. Uh, Thank God. For, <laughs> for the better, though. For the yeah. better, in my opinion. Yeah, it's for very sure. Disruptive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm excited for more digital focus at tech because it was a shit show watching schools adapt to <laughs> digital. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, I know it's hard. It's it's hard for them. Like my wife's a first grade teacher, right? And like she's been, they've been home now for you know two months, a month. And with first graders, you know, it's incredibly can be hard to teach them over the computers. So they're trying to figure it out. Um, but they're, they haven't tried it very hard. And then now they're going to have to try because guess what? The free market exists and you're going to have a lot of entrepreneurs out there right now that are trying to take over your business. And I think that we're going we're gonna to probably see more people transition to these newer kind of uh, platform models. Um, and, you know, if they don't adapt, then Darwin's theory kicks in and free market theory kicks in and you just don't survive. You need to always stay competitive. Um, That's exciting. But yeah, man. That, so it's that stuff. And then before we get off to, I mean, like any of that, it's the privacy related stuff too, that, that, that I want people to really know about, you know, if we are moving, like I, we are at this point moving into a truly the true digital economy. I think this is also the catalyst into that world. Um, you know, we talked about the U S central bank, the fed coming out with a new digital dollar. We talked about China doing that as well. Um, but in these worlds, they will be Orwellian, you know, they, they, you know, at least at the start, I mean, you, you will have surveillance over a population of people. Um, so privacy online is going to need to be paramount there, not because it's bad, you know, like Edward Snowden said it best, like, you know, saying you don't, saying you don't believe in privacy is like saying you have nothing to say. Um, uh, and you don't believe in the, the, the freedom of speech, right? Um, you know, people say, Oh, well, I have nothing to hide online. Well, then I ask them, what's your password then? You know, what's, what are all your codes? And they say, oh, I'm not going to tell you that. Right. You need to remember that because, you know, 80 years from now, we could be living in a world where the only type of freedom that people have, right, freedoms, quote unquote freedoms, could be access to information. And if you can't get it from books locally or anything like that, but you have a cell phone and a, and a SIM card, you can still get information online, real information, true information. Um, and that's where online privacy comes in, because if we're not working to, you know, build the tools that that still create a private environment to search the web and to spend money on, uh, you know, I, that's what worries me about the future is I feel like, you know, privacy is going to continue to be underappreciated. And, uh, you know, then we really will be in this true, like kind of freaking Orwellian, Orwellian apocalypse. Um, Monero has done a good job of that. You know, unlike Bitcoin, Bitcoin is still the first and the biggest and the best, in my opinion. Um, but it is open and transparent. You know, as long as I can identify you to a wallet address, I could track all the payments that you've ever made on the blockchain. You know, and there's companies out there like Chain Analysis and different companies that work, you know, with the U.S. government where their sole job is to, um, you know, de-anonymize accounts, link accounts to wallet addresses and then and trace people um, with Monero that doesn't exist. You know, Monero, uh, you transact in a private fashion. All your identity is masked. The payments are masked. You don't know who holds what. Um, Monero, the Monero community just came out with a, a platform called Tari, Tari Labs, um, which is very promising for digital collectibles and things like we were talking about, Akash, like, you know, databases, IPFS databases, 
Okay, gotcha. Um, but with the privacy features of Monero, which will be cool because, you know, uh, these these things will truly be private. So, you know, I just want people to to remember, you know, online privacy, you know, would, would you, do you care? It doesn't matter if you care or not, right? You care about freedom of speech, right? Okay, so, you know, you want to give me your passwords? No, then the online privacy is still important here. Like, you know, so, uh, you know, these are just things that I try to talk to people, um, you know, and, I, and, and for me, I'm very, I'm, I'm in the middle between a lot of these topics. I say right or wrong isn't the answer a lot of times. It's just bringing them up for conversation to talk about. Um, and I think once people can kind of start doing that a little bit more, like having normal conversations with people and not getting too upset and respecting opinions and I think then we'll move into this, you know, better functioning kind of society a little bit, but, but yeah, guys, that's, that's really oh, yeah, man. what I'm doing. Got anything else at all or good? No, nah, man. So we're in the final, the final few minutes, but yep. yeah, thank you for joining us as always good talking to you always extremely educational and pushing it forward. You just got to keep going, keep talking to these people and, slowly people start sticking on people start realizing and hopefully we could get that conversation going among everyone but uh before we get off here anything else you want to plug where can people find you if they want to reach out to you talk to you yeah of course so my personal bio uh kind of like my linkedin bio you can find me at joseph um you'll get my email address on there you'll also be able to see all the projects i'm working on and all my publications um, if you would like to, if you would like to listen more on the macroeconomics, history, financial current events, crypto kind of talk, you can find us at the nonconformist.io. Um, and then also from there, there's a crypto tab at the top of that website and you'll see Bitcoin education, narrow education, and you can just click on those two links and, you know, get all the, the crypto education that I've been talking about here today. Um, that's awesome, probably man. about it, Akash. And I, uh, you know, I really appreciate Akash and Zach, you guys having me on today. Um, super support, man. And I think you guys are doing some awesome stuff. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's awesome having you. Yeah, for those of you listening and watching, definitely check Joe out. And also check us out at the Zach and Akash on Instagram. Come say hi. Say what's up. Say what you think about what's going on. Be part of the conversation, especially for those of you listening. Consider joining us live at 9 a.m. EST at the Zach and Akash show on YouTube so you can participate in the chat. Definitely makes it a lot more fun for us. And for those of you watching, Zach, point up. Oh, it's right there. uh, uh, (laughs) Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and a bunch of other platforms you can find us on and listen to in case you cannot make it live. And also, if you're interested in updates or what we've been up to and schedule changes, then consider joining the email list it's in the description below on youtube for those of you watching and for those of you listening it should be somewhere in the descriptions for your personal podcast app so with that said we will see you all tomorrow at 9 a.m for the wikipedia show where i'll be talking about guitars and the history of that that'll be a fun one and we will see you there so peace out everyone bye take care y'all thanks for joining